Welcome in, everybody. Episode 10 of Four Score, the podcast. I cannot believe we're this far in, but we've made it a long way. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufrey. Um, we've had a lot of fun on this podcast, and now that it's episode 10, I felt it appropriate, actually, to start it off with this. We thank everybody for listening, for giving us positive feedback, for supporting us. We've had a blast doing this. It's hard to believe that we're 10 episodes in. It feels like we just started this yesterday, but here we are 10 episodes in. The feedback gets better and better. Everyone seems to be entertained by uh, by Rob more so than me because he's got a lot of things to say about a lot of different people, most namely Luis Guillaume. That's been a big hit with the crowd. But seriously, we, we really appreciate all the support so far. We're going to keep doing it as long as everyone keeps enjoying it and we're enjoying ourselves in the process. So episode 10, we'll get right into things. We have a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, New York Rangers talk as uh, we've been spending a lot of time on the Rangers as of recent with a lot of storylines being uh, Chris Kreider's extension, the trade deadline coming and going, Igor Shesterkin's injury. But um, now that that's all behind us, the Rangers had a little, a tough little weekend with two losses to the Flyers. We'll get into that a little bit later. We have to start it off, though, on the baseball side of things because the fact of the matter is we're getting closer and closer to opening day. And just as was the case last season with the New York Yankees, the injury bug continues to ravage this club. They can't seem to figure out what to do to get out of their own way injury-wise. This is something that usually happens to the Mets, but unfortunately it's been happening to the Yankees. Uh, Last time we were on the air, we spoke about Luis Severino and how he was getting sent back to New York for a battery of tests to figure out what was going on in that arm. Well, since we last talked to everybody, those tests came back and it was confirmed that Severino needs Tommy John surgery. So he's going to be out for all of this year, presumably most of next season, because now with Tommy John you know, the timetable to come back is a lot longer than it once was. Guys are usually sidelined for about a year and a half. So that's a big blow for the Yankees rotation, which was considered a strength for once this year after the addition of Garrett Cole. Um, Giancarlo Stanton probably not going to be ready for opening day with a right calf strain. You remember he had a he had a boatload of problems with the left calf in the second half of last season. And he also had problems with the shoulder and the hamstring. Stanton's just been... He hasn't been able to stay healthy since the second he put on pinstripes. Question marks about Aaron Judge and the shoulder injury that he's nursing. MRI coming back negative, showing no significant damage. But there's still question marks. No one can figure out what's wrong with them. They can't get down to the bottom of it. And his status for opening day is very much a question mark as well. So, listen, Rob, you and I were both not Yankee fans. So we're we're certainly not going to be overly upset about this and be panicking and thinking the sky is falling. At the end of the day, I think this Yankees team is still good enough to win this division with ease, especially considering the Red Sox trading away Mookie Betts. They're taking a significant step backwards, and you got Toronto and Baltimore that are still a ways away. I think it's safe to say that the Rays are really the only competition for the Yankees in that division, but even with these injuries, I still think they're good enough, but this is not a regular season team, Ron. This this is a team that's primed for postseason play, and taking away your number two starting pitcher right off the bat for the entire season is certainly a huge blow because one of the reasons, I know they didn't hit in the postseason, but one of the reasons why the Yankees have been far off from winning the title and getting over that hump has been their lack of starting pitching. And this was the year where you thought it was all going to come together and already Severino on the shelf. And that extension that they gave him to buy out his arbitration years is looking like a terrible deal for the Yankees and a great deal for Severino so far. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing, Andrew, is if if the Mets had Severino and handled it this way, or any one of their pitches, for that matter, 
and handled it the way the Yankees handled this injury? Because he was feeling this soreness in his elbow going back to when he pitched that game, started that game seven against the Astros. Yeah, in the postseason. Yeah. But they felt like it wasn't in a spot to where, you know, it was going to affect the UCL. So, you know, you got you to gotta think there's some negligence on the Yankees' part. And if this was the Mets, could you imagine if this was the Grama Syndergaard that this happened with? In that sort of manner, like the way the Yankees handled it, that it takes to for this kid to get the spring training, for them to finally do this die test, and then figure out that he has Tommy John. Now, look, even if they would have found out about it in November, he would have still lost the whole 2020 season. Right. But at least he would have been back for the start of 2021. Yeah. Now he loses the entire 2020 season and probably won't be back till at least halfway through 2021. So you got to figure he's probably almost, almost going to lose probably two years because even coming back mid-2021, you're going to be on a limited pitch count, you know. So, um, But you got to wonder at some point, Again, with Stanton and the injuries, and that's just all muscle-related. These guys are wound too tight. Flexibility, baseball players, not muscles. You need flexibility. You know, back in the day, Andrew, in the 70s and the 80s, when guys wore baggy pants and baggy uniforms, nobody was sitting there with muscles and or anything like that. There was no such thing as hamstrings and calf strains. You never heard of it because they didn't have calves and hamstrings, you know, to, 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 to strain. <laughs> they they weren't they weren't doing they were picking up a bottle of beer after the game. And a couple, they weren't and a hitting the weights. Dogs. Right. They weren't hitting the weights like these guys do. It was all about flexibility. Resistance bands maybe you use or something. That's about it. Now these guys are hitting the weight room. Same thing with Aaron Judge too. Another guy. Oblique strain. All right, he had the chip fracture, but last couple of years Aaron Judge has missed a lot of games for them also. And you got to wonder if guys like you know, there's gotta come a point when maybe this catches up to the Yankees, all these injuries. You know, they just changed their training staff, their entire medical staff. They changed. They changed every. And now you have these issues again. Judge with a with the with the shoulder, but now they're saying there's some underlying soreness heading to the pec area as well. So something's going on there. MRI came back clean, but you, you know, you, MRI came back clean on on Severino until they did the dye test. So I don't know what tests they're going to take now for Judge to see exactly what the heck is going on, but. You know, it, it's it's almost like he might be missing opening day if he doesn't get into into some games and get some at bats um, uh, within the next week, which it doesn't seem like you probably will because at this point you're ever on the side of caution. And if he has to start opening day on the injured list, then so be it. Then you know you leave him back in leave him back in Florida for you know for now until he uh, he recovers from whatever the hell his ailment is. I could see Stanton not coming back till probably sometime in May at the very least. Those those grade one calf strains are tough because you know what? They linger. And not only do they linger, just as soon as you think they start feeling good, you bust one out of the box, and here it comes again. And you heard so, it worse than you did the first time. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So And it's, with, it's know, with all those muscles, too. You remember that used to happen as a Mets fan. You you and I can relate. That used to happen to Jose Reyes all the time. All the time. He'd, he'd go on the shelf with the hamstring yep. injury. He'd come back. He'd hit a little dribbler down yep. the third baseline, bust it to Boom. first base, just and he'd as, be right back just out. Just as soon as you think, you know, that muscle's still strained. It's still somewhat pulled. Right. You might think it feels good, but it's still weakened. So, you know, who knows what they're going to do with Stanton, but what an albatross of a contract that has become. And Derek Jeter's probably laughing his ass off right now. Yeah. You know, d- dumping that contract for basically to, to get back next to nothing. Yeah. And the Yankees taking on every single dime of that contract. And, I, much. I, and when you look at it, I mean, the Yankees, there was no need for Stanton. I no. think I think at the time no. it was just that offer 
was too good to pass up because they didn't right. have to give up any high nothing. level prospects. Just the money, him. which is nothing to the Yankees. The money but, is nothing, exactly. But now you you know you got a guy with that sort of a contract, and you got him to what twenty twenty seven. So it's going to take a toll with that contract on the Yankees because you don't know what the hell Stanton's going to give you uh, each coming into each season now because now last year was a bust and. This year started out to be a bust with him. Yeah. Well, what did and, he play last year? 19 games? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And he got hurt in the playoffs then again. So, you know, and doing nothing. You, you're looking at him being like, what the hell did he get hurt on? But, uh, you know, then you got to wonder if guys can replicate seasons that they had the year before. And the Yankees got lucky. You know, again, you know, with Urshela they picked up off the scrap heap. They grabbed Tockman from the Colorado Rockies in such a, a meaningless deal. But the kid played well. Mike Ford came up. These guys were not known prospects. They were they were not known prospects. It wasn't like these guys are on the prospect chain for the Yankees. They were just depth players at AAA for them. So you got to wonder if these guys come up and replicate what they did last year or come anything close. Because these guys gave them some some good at-bats uh, and they gave them some some good defense out in the field between Tockman and um, Urshela and Ford that you got to wonder if this catches up to the Yankees at some point because there's only so much, you know what, you get away with that. We all know, yeah, it's the Yankees. They'll find a way to find a way, but maybe they don't find a way this time. Although the division's going to be a little bit weaker because Boston now isn't as good. Toronto might be a little bit better, Andrew. And, of course, Baltimore is just absolutely God horrendous. Uh, and Tampa's always in the mix somehow. They always You could always tag them in for 90 wins somehow, some way, Tampa. So, um, but... You know, let's see where the Yankees, how they handle this. And, you know, they got to hope that they don't have any other injuries going forward because it seems like they've been getting decimated. And we spoke about this last episode, too. We said the whole premise of spring training. Yeah, everyone likes to get the rust off and get some reps in. But for the most part, spring training is just kind of closing your eyes, crossing your fingers, and hoping yeah. that everyone stays healthy. Absolutely. And now these are three key cogs on the Yankees team that have gone down in a matter of weeks. And then you also got to remember that James Paxton is not going to come back and probably until the early portion of May. So now that's that's your two and three starters in that rotation that are going down. So now Tanaka gets elevated to the number two pitcher for the Yankees. Jordan Montgomery may be number three, but again, he's coming off Tommy John surgery. You don't know what he's going to give you. Hap has not proven to be the most reliable of options, although he has looked good in the spring so far. But he's not the most reliable of options. And then the number five spot in the rotation is completely up for grabs. I mean, there's some talks about Davey Garcia. There's some talks about Michael King. Uh, Clark Schmidt, who is a former first-round pick for the Yankees, has been in the discussion to maybe take that roster spot. They could go with uh, a Chad Green, maybe just extending him a little bit or just using him as an opener for that fifth spot. Uh, Chad Bettis was a name we came up with last time on the podcast. So they certainly have options, but none of them as appealing as Severino or Paxton is when the season first started. And, you know, I, I also think it's notable to point out too, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I also feel when you're in the midst of a season and you've already solidified yourself as one of the best teams in your league or in your respective division, there's a certain there's a certain attitude that comes with putting on the uniform of a winning team. And I feel like it might be easier to plug and play in the midst of a successful season rather than to start on opening day with three or four guys that weren't even supposed to be on the team in the first place. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it, like the adrenaline saying. of yeah. being mid-season yeah. may, may allow you to have a, a, a smoother transition to bench pieces rather than starting off the season with four guys on the shelf. Yeah, well, you know, I, they are getting Anduha back to that lineup, so that's going to be a help. That'll offset Stanton because let's not, you know, let's not forget the two guys that are out 
and they'll probably miss significant time uh, with Stanton, especially. And obviously, Severino will be out all the whole year, like we said. And don't forget, Aaron Hicks had Tommy John. And surgery Aaron Hicks as well. had the Tommy John surgery, who they knew they were missing anyway. But he's another main guy. But let's not forget, they didn't even have Severino and Stanton pretty much the entire year for 2019. Right. But that goes were, back to your original point, though, is that so, the reason why they were able to succeed still is right. because they got great seasons from those guys who weren't expected to contribute. Right. But what I'm trying to say is it was almost a bonus for them to get back Severino and Stanton That's for this true. season. After winning 103 games last year, pretty much without them the entire year, both guys. Well, we both penciled and, them in. And Aaron Judge. I, would, I had them for 110 wins. I was right along with you. And <laughs> part mean, of it was because you're expected to have these guys yeah. that didn't have last year when you still won 103 games so now you're going to be without them again well they're holding their breath for judge andrew i'm telling you right now they got to hold it they're holding their breath because you don't want to see him missing significant time again which would be a third season in a row for judge Judge to be you know he had the chip fracture in 2018 he had that oblique strain and a couple other injuries last year that kept him out for a while you know he had less than 500 at bats in the last two seasons he had 498 and then 479 after playing just about every game in 2017, his rookie season, and you got to hope he doesn't have that label of uh, you know injury prone, right? You know, uh, you know, put on top of him as well. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure, like I said, the Yankees will be holding their breath the rest of spring training and just hope that they get out healthy enough. But again, you know, they have some pieces there that's still not in trouble by any means, right? And if they can get Judge back, they'll be okay. They'll piece it together with their with their starting staff. You know, Paxton will probably miss about five or six starts, maybe, maybe seven starts, tops. Uh, they said he was uh, probably uh, um, uh, on schedule to come back a little earlier than what they expect. He said he was feeling good, but you know, he's going to have to throw in, you know, down in the minors a little bit to get his arm, uh, his arm strength back up. So they'll be okay in, in, in the beginning. They have a strong bullpen, as we said, so maybe they go with the opener a few times. But they'll bully. They, listen, they're gonna bully teams with their right. lineup. As long as their lineup's intact and Judge is somewhat healthy and he comes back, they'll bully teams. They'll score ten runs a game. So now there's there's two things I wanted to get into. Firstly, and it goes back to one of the things you said when you first came on about how if the Mets handled the situation the same way the Yankees have, they'd be getting headlined, destroyed. Right. You have to wonder because both of these injuries, Severino. And um, mainly the Severino injury, he was, and and Paxton, Severino and Paxton, the two pitchers. Severino had this problem, as you mentioned, last season. Yeah. And Paxton had this problem last season, too. And both guys were advised by the team doctors that this would be something that didn't need any surgical repair Mm -hmm. and can just be, you know, rehabilitated over time and it would go away. And I know with guys like Tanaka, who has the partially torn UCL, He's been able to pitch for four years now and have no problems. Seth Lugo is another guy that's got a partially torn UCL. These guys have been able to skate by without any problems. But you have to wonder with this training staff of the Yankees that these are two key players now that they've, I don't want to say misdiagnosed, but just maybe have given the wrong direction to in terms of how to deal with an injury. And both guys now are missing significant time because of the advice of the Yankees training staff. And I know they revamped the whole training staff, but now it's happening all over again. And you have to wonder, like, what do we have to do to, to end this madness? Because well, it, it's unreal. You're right. You're right. And like I said, it's it's negligence on the medical staff. Right. Because they said that, well, they were saying that Severino was only getting that 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 soreness that he was getting, only throwing his changeup. 
but it's still an area you got to watch. It's still around that elbow area, you know, and if he's complaining of soreness there, it, it's definitely negligence on their part. And like you said, you bring up a good point with Paxson too. That, this goes back a few months also. And were they misdiagnosed? They were giving the wrong uh, advice from doctors. Somehow, some way, somebody might get fired over this. Right. Because, again, it's negligence on their part. Now, again, Severino... Was it partially torn at that point back in November when I heard about the soreness, October? Was it was it leaning towards that? Could they have prevented it? Who knows? You don't know. But bottom line is what's done is done now, and that's it. Uh, so, you know, the Yankees will march forward. They'll be all right. You know, once they get Paxson back, they'll have Cole there, who they didn't have last year. And like I said, Severino was a novelty to have back this year because they really didn't have him at all last year. So you have Cole there now to anchor the rotation. They'll be okay when, you know, with Cole, Tanaka, and Paxson uh, uh, as your top three, you'll be all right. Yeah. They'll they'll be okay. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the judge injury would be significant. I mean, you'd like to see what the hell is going on, but the MRI came back clean, as I said, and they might be doing his dye test again with him. So let's see what, uh, let's see what that brings about. It could just be muscle-related to where... Listen, he might, again, he might have to take two, three weeks off and maybe miss the opening day, but so so be it. But as long as he's back at some point in April, I'm sure the Yankees will sign up for that. Well, I'm glad you brought up Judge because that's the second thing I wanted to get to. And, you know, you listen to talk radio, you listen, you watch some TV programs throughout the week, and, you know, maybe the knee-jerk reaction you had to something occurring changes after you hear different viewpoints. But I've had this thought from the very beginning. As soon as they announced that Judge was going to put a pause to his baseball activities because of the shoulder is barking. I had this thought from day one, and I've heard a couple people on talk radio echo it, and they've immediately gotten shot down by everyone. I've had a, I've seen a journalist write a story about it, and his comment section on Twitter was flooded with people calling him a hack, saying he had no idea what he was talking about. But I still feel the same way, and I want to get your take on it. Do you think the Yankees may not want to commit to judge long-term. Everyone saw him as being a forever Yankee and being that face of the franchise and the captain for years to come. And like you said, this is three... I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe he only misses a week and ends up having a healthy season. But as of right now, if this hinders him, this would be three injury-riddled seasons in a row for him. You think that that would have the Yankees thinking twice about wanting to commit to him long-term? It's something they'd have to really, really think about depending upon what the number is on him because... So you don't think I'm crazy for feeling I don't know. I don't think you're crazy. I don't see them getting rid of him by any means either because he is a fan favorite. Everybody loves the guy. So, you know, he's a homegrown guy. I, you but know, everyone, I, I everyone guess, saw him as being the next guy to get that stand I, I guess like when contract. They, I guess when they get to that bridge, they'll either cross it or they'll put up a toll and say, right. you know, that's it. I mean, or put up a stop sign, I should say. But, you know... It, it's an interesting scenario because, again, when you have Cole, $325 million, what the hell was the Stanton contract? 370 was, or whatever was, the hell it was? It was 10 years, 325 325 or yeah. whatever the hell it was. I, I mean, that's a lot of money for just two guys. And now on top of that, to have to pay Aaron Judge when, when his time comes, I could see, again, as I said before in the past, I could see them, the one guy trading, it would probably be a guy like Sanchez. I could see Sanchez the one guy that maybe they'll be reluctant to pay for sure. Uh, they're going to pay Gleyber Torres 100%. They're going to pay him. So I, I don't see them not paying him. Um, and it was it was actually... And they're also DJ LeMahieu. You know, if LeMahieu 
somebody comes close to the season he had last year, you know what he's going to want? Right. And he's coming off a two-year, $16 million deal. That guy's going to want to make some bank. I don't know why that was the only... I don't know why that's his because it was Colorado because he won a batting title there, right? He won the batting title, right. but I told, but it's all Colorado you, driven. I told you from day one though he he wasn't always a gap to gap hitter. No. He's a ground ball right. hitter, so it doesn't matter what stadium right. you're playing in. If you're hitting ground balls right. up the middle, they're going to be hits in every state. Listen, he proved he could he could play no matter what Colorado or not, and he and he he did it in New York, you know, in a in a in a pressure uh, type city that we have here to perform. So. Let, let's see what LeMahieu does again this year. Does he come close to duplicating the numbers that he had last year, which was a tremendous uh, MVP-type season that that kid had? So he had a tremendous year, and he's also versatile. Plays some first. He plays some second. He can play some third. He's all over. He probably even play a little outfield. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But he's going to have to get paid. So if he's having another season somewhat close to what he had last year, Andrew, that's a, you know, 18 to $20 million a year player. And by the way, Stanton was 13 years for 325, years. so he's on the contract until 2028. 2028, okay. Well, it's t- through 2027, and then there's a club right, option I for 2028. And, and I don't think they'll pick no. up that. <laughs> they could probably make <laughs> that decision today. Judging by the way today. things are going, yeah. yeah they'll, they'll, they'll make that decision they could, today. They could buy, well, buy out that year right now. But but yeah, so it's certainly certainly going to be interesting to see how they move They got some guys that are going to make some bank, Andrew. Uh, you know, between, like I said, LeMahieu would be one. Judge would be another. Sanchez would be another. Gleyber Torres is another. Yeah. And these guys, you know, they're going to be big money guys if they have the seasons that everybody expects them to normally have. Right. Because these are tremendous baseball players. And although Judge's has been, you know, some, well, the fractured wrist, you can't blame him on. The oblique strain is a worrisome thing. Now with this other this other muscle strain, that's all, again, it's weight-related. It's all the weights, the weights, the weights. That's what that's related to. When you're so wound tight from lifting weights, we've seen the pictures of Stanton in the gym and then he's bench pressing Adriana Lima. I mean, you know, this is what's going to happen to these mm-hmm. guys. So they got to, you know, either have Judge do something different so he doesn't suffer these muscle-type strains or anything like that and and avoids the problem. You know, they, they went back to when he crashed into the wall last year too. They were talking about that. They thought the shoulder soreness was from that originally when he crashed into the wall. I don't know if that was back in September or something when he, he actually missed a few games after that. Uh, yeah, I vaguely and, remember and, that. And they, they go back to that, but it seems like there's something else underlying there that they haven't picked up, uh, picked up on yet. So who knows? So, you know, the Yankees, like I said, you know, they're just uh, they're going to church and saying in Ovina is that, you know, lighting their candles that this doesn't happen much anymore as far as, the, you know, the, the bad injuries that they've been suffering to some of their key players. Um, and they'll move on. And, you know, you go into med camp and everything is tranquil, right, Andrew? It's it's quiet. How, how the how the fortunes have reversed it's, a little bit right now. It's, it's too good it's almost, to be true. It's too good to be true. You're right. Because, <laughs> too good to be true. Something right. will happen. Yeah, Some wild sure. animal will get loose and, no, then and do you, something to one of the players. You heard reports today the Yankees were checking in on Steven Matz. <laughs> Forget that. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It'll never happen. It's they'll not, never, they'll never unless the Yankees deal. are going to offer up, uh, you know, Andujar. They're not going to trade Stephen Matz to the Yankees. It's not, even though I, you know, it's not like Stephen Matz is some sort of a Cy Young or something. He's he basically is a fourth or fifth starter. So, but the Mets aren't just going to give him up. But one thing we got to give Van Wagen and credit for it looks like because Michael Walker has been pitching very well, and he seems like he's over some of his injuries that he's had. In fact, the velocity is even up on his fastball, which is a good sign. And with Parcello, the Mets have some nice pitching depth working right now. And David Peterson has looked good in spring training games. So they have some nice depth along the lines, which they haven't had over the last couple of years, 
having to use guys like Chris Flexen and Ulswalt and uh, Walker Lockett and guys like that. So now they look like they have some some professional pitches there that could, you know, uh, um, um, step in at any time. And, you know, right now it looks like Walker and Matt's are in competition for that fifth spot, but they're also talking about almost splitting those guys. Right. You know, splitting them up maybe half a game, half a game, or having Matt's open up for a couple of innings, Walker coming in for a few innings, and working it that way maybe from the start. So we'll see what happens, but it's never bad to have pitching depth because you need it. The Mets got lucky last year. Yeah. To a certain degree, all their top starters made all their starts. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. And, very and, rarely happens. And if you get rid of Matt's, you know, we're talking about how good the depth is. If you get rid of Mats, then you're then you're going back to having to resort right. to a guy like Walker Lockett right. to make a spot start. They're not going to get rid of him. You don't want. You don't want to have happen. He's the only lefty in that pen. And I think that actually goes into my next point about how, you know, I, I'm usually not. I don't want to say I'm not acceptant of the analytics because I know that's direction. That's the direction that the game is moving in. Um, the opener thing. I've never really been a huge fan of it, but I have to say, after. All things considered, I kind of do like the idea of an opener with Steven Matz. So, if you were to open a game with a guy like Lugo or Gesellman, now the only way they would use Lugo to open a game is if they knew they had reliable options at the back end of the pen. Obviously, right now, you don't know that. You don't know what Diaz or Patances or Familia is going to give you. So, Lugo would probably be an anchor in that back end, so you wouldn't use him as an opener. But let's just say they use Gesellman as an opener for two innings, right? Now, being that Gesellman is opening the game... You're probably going to have a lineup of predominantly lefties to face the righty the first time through the order. And then if you were to bring in Steven Matz in the third inning, he would have a left-handed heavy lineup to be able to sift his way through. And the only way you could take away those lefties is you'd have to go to your bench. So then the nat- having a National League team, if you're pinch hitting constantly, it depletes your bench. Right. So it's actually not a bad idea to start off with a righty like Gesellman and then have Matz come in and eat up some innings after that. I'm really not opposed to it. Or if you want to have Waka go to first time through the order, eat up the first three innings, and then have Mats go four through six, and then figure the rest out when you get there. I mean, somehow it worked for Tampa last year. They won 96 games, and don't forget, they lost Blake Snell for a significant time. And even when they he lost, came back, he was ineffective. Yeah, they lost Glasnow, who was probably their, one of their better starters. He's one of the him best and pitchers Snell, in baseball yeah, for a for, while. Yeah, for a couple of months. They lost him for the rest of the season. They lost him for the last three, four months. He came back in what? In the playoff game, he pitched a few innings, actually. Yeah. So they basically uh, they basically um, used the opener majority of the season. Yeah, they were Char- using them. Charlie Morton and a bunch yeah. of bullpen guys. Yeah. In fact, they traded one of their better openers, which was Emilio Pagan. I think they, they traded him to San Diego. So, you know, Tampa won 96 games doing that. Yeah. I, and the, I, other, do- the other guy they used to use, too, was uh, Ryan Stanek. Yeah. Would be, would be the opener right. all the time. And then they bring in the guys like Castillo in the back end of that bullpen. But do and, I uh, believe Alvarado. in that? I don't know. I, I just, I mean, again, I go back to just being a traditionalist. I, if it works, it works. God bless. I mean, what could I say? Like I said, it worked for Tampa, but I, I don't want to see that happen with the Mets. I tell you, I, I don't, don't think know. it's a terrible idea. But, however, I would only go to that if you're running with a five-man rotation and you're not getting anything out of that fifth spot then I think you would be more open to tinkering around and seeing what other yeah. options you have. But to start the season, I think you go with whoever's shown you more in spring training gets that fifth spot, and you pull the leash on them if they're not good enough, and you move to the other option. And if both options aren't giving you much, or if both options aren't going deep enough into the ball game, then you start tinkering with those other options. But I, I think it's pretty safe to say that those first four spots are are locked up. And it's interesting, too, because we're hearing Michael Waka say that he was 
pretty much guaranteed a starting spot when he signed there. Like, he yeah. keeps being asked by reporters, and he keeps saying, they told me I was going to be a starter, that's why I came here. So, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see what they do with him, because he might be a little ticked off if he doesn't get that fifth spot, because he's essentially being lied to. Well, he really had no, he didn't really have much offers out there either. And the Mets also, I mean, I think they have $7 million in incentives in his contract as well, from what I was reading yesterday. So... I'm sure he wants to be a starter, that's for sure. But he also has to stay healthy. You know, he hasn't been healthy the last couple of years. If he can stay healthy, he's an effective pitcher. Well, what, is so, Walker, what does Walker have in common with a lot of other Mets, you know? No. Former uh, Brody Van Wagner Van, Oh, Van Wagner and Klein. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. Well, <laughs> they all are. Yeah. The Jed Lowry's yeah, of the world. The CAA the C- society. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, so far I've been impressed with, with the Mets in spring training? I mean, they haven't won too many games, but... Yeah, but I don't even look at the record. You know, one thing that you could see with the Mets, though, and they were talking about this today, and you see what... I watched a couple of the games here and there. You know, it's sporadic. You're not sitting and watching nine innings of a spring training game, but it seems like Rojas has been a little aggressive, which I like. I've liked everything I've seen from Rojas He's so quiet. Far. He's, you know... He, He's like a silent assassin. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, like he doesn't say maybe. much, but you, you could tell that as soon as he walks into a room, he, he, he demands he, everybody's respect right, and attention. Right, which I, I like that. And uh, so I like the aggressiveness. If, if that's going to hold the form in a regular season, I would love that because that's one thing I've always said about the Mets over the last few years. They're not aggressive enough, especially on the base paths, hit and run, you know, things like that. I love seeing that. I like, I like pushing Pushing it, push it, push it. You know, especially with the hit and run and the stolen base. You don't have to be fast to learn how to steal bases. You know, you don't have to you don't have to be Ricky Henderson or, you know, one of those guys. So, um, you know, you just it's all about timing when it comes to that. So I, I'd like to see them uh, um push it a little bit. I'd love to see that instead of just sitting there waiting for the home run. And one thing I noticed, I don't know if it's me. But just, you know, looking at various spring training scores, it seems like there's a lot of low-scoring games yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Usually the pitchers are always ahead of the hitters, you know, early on. So we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, um, I, it goes back to what I said. I don't think the ball is going to be juiced this year. I just I think they're going back to the normal ball that they put in play for the playoffs last year. I really don't. I don't think they're going to, they're going to screw around with that again. I just don't. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I hope they don't. I hope they, they keep it on an even level. I mean, you know, I don't need to see, you know, guys that have never hit anything more than 15 home runs in their career, a la Brett Gardner, all of a sudden hit 30. Right. And like I said, power hitters are going to be power hitters. Maybe Alonzo won't hit his 50 homers, but maybe he's going to hit 38 to 40. All right, that's fine. That's still a home run. Well, because the right majority there. of home runs that he was hitting, they weren't just clearing the fence because of a ball. Yeah, like, they were. He, yeah. He, they were monster yeah, shots. Monster so shots. He's still going to get his fair share. Right. But it's the it's the guys who have never hit more than ten in their life that are hitting 25, 26 right. home runs. That that's that's the eye opener for you. And and you know that kind of stuff I don't like to see. Listen, I love to see home runs. I I do, but I on the with the same token, I do like to see low scoring, you know, pitchers duels. I do. What really gets me is watching a Mets game and seeing someone who's not a power hitter get jammed by a 98 mile an hour fastball and fist it 380 feet Wasn't over the right the field uh, fence. Todd Frazier last year did that a couple of times. Uh, yeah, it, it boggles my mind, and I hate when it ha- yeah. I hate it when no, it happens it's... against my team. I mean, I'll take it if it's my team, but when it happens against my team and I see little, uh, you know, Emilio Bonifacio 
fisting a 98-mile-an-hour fastball 380 feet opposite field. Yeah. That kind of stuff I don't like to see because it, it's not natural. Yeah, it was happening know? all over baseball. I, right. I don't like that. You know, I don't mind a 4-3 game, a 5-4 game. I don't need to see fireworks with home runs all over the place. To me, that's just not fun. I, 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 to me, that's not fun. I, you know, the, you got to give the pitchers a chance to pitch, too, at the same time. I'm sorry. You, you do. You got to give them a little bit of a chance to pitch. So... And again, I know it's spring training and he was going against the B lineup, but I do have to point out that Jacob deGrom looked fantastic yeah, uh, yesterday. We 32 to, pitches through three innings. We don't need to worry about Jacob deGrom. He's no. the guy we don't worry. We just hope he stays healthy. That's it. Otherwise, you don't have to worry about him at all. It's nothing to worry about with that guy. What a pro. The, the guys who are question marks for me, and, and I think that's part of the reason why I've been so impressed with the Mets, uh, is because I wanted to see how Dom Smith would react after having an injury-riddled second half of the season. And again, embracing his bench role, he's had a couple good swings and a couple nice hits so far this spring. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, who had probably the most frustrating season of anybody on the Mets last season mm-hmm. with the neck issues and the eye, everything, he's looked good in the spring so far. And Syndergaard in limited action has looked pretty good as well. So those are three wild cards who really didn't have, uh, well, Smith was effective, but Nimmo and Syndergaard weren't effective at all for the Mets, weren't key contributors for them last season. And... They need them to be big contributors if they want to make a postseason run or make a run at this division. And again, I know it's the spring and you got to take things with a grain of salt, but it's certainly exciting when you're seeing guys show some promise and you're seeing some improvements. Now, a guy like Edwin Diaz, on the other hand, who's had one appearance and looked like garbage, uh, that's a little bit of a cause for concern because all we had to hear about all winter was how he was working with Pedro Martinez and he went to a, a pitching guru or a pitching whisperer and he changed his arm slot and he changed his mechanics and he's no longer tipping his slider and he's got more movement on it, more control on it. And he's going against, I mean, the Marlins' A lineup is worse than everyone's B lineup and they weren't putting their A lineup. They had their B lineup and he gives up three runs in one inning. So yeah, he's, that's, that's concerning. a cause for concern. It's, it's concerning with that guy. When you start talking about it, I change... Just go out and let it rip, for God's sake. To me, his problem is mental. His problem is mental. His velocity is still there. Yeah. So it's mental because he's not locating his pitches, which means he's pitching scared. In my opinion, I think the guy's pitching scared. Yeah, you think he, maybe he can't handle New I, York? I just, I you know, some guys can't. Yeah. Some guys Sorry have with, a full... Saw with Sonny some guy, Gray. Sonny some Gray guy, couldn't right, do it. Yeah, look at Sonny Gray. He was an all-star with the Reds. He pitched terrific last year yep. with them. Had a great year. So some guys just can't handle it. Now... Whether that's the case with Diaz, we'll see, but I don't know. It's concerning. Yeah. But if I had to ask you one guy, who's your one key guy in the Mets that you think uh, needs to have a big season? In terms of for them to be successful? Yes. Like this guy has a good year, they're going to have a good year? Yeah. Like the team? Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Um, There's one key guy that's on my mind that I think if he if he I'm not I, I'll I'll let you go ahead. I mean there's a there's a couple guys I'm kind of gonna cheat here. There, I'm, there's I'm gonna one. Name, I'm gonna name I'm gonna name three, but I'm gonna run through them real quick. Syndergaard I think is one of them because Boom, that's the guy. Y- y- your starting rotation is what this team is built upon, and I know their offense is better than it was in past years, but yeah. still the strength of this team is the starting rotation. And you're going into a season where you lost Zach Wheeler. So that means Syndergaard has to step up that much more. The second guy that I think is key is J.D. Davis because he struggled at the big league level in all his years before he came to the Mets. I want to see that last year wasn't a fluke for Davis. I want to see him repeat and show that he's a he's a, yeah, but the, he's, a bona fide he's re- major league hitter. He's replaceable. He, he could be replaceable. And 
He gave us a good year last year. He's the reason why I say Syndergaard, and you you nailed it. So that, kudos to you, my friend. But uh, I knew mind, you. I knew you were gonna. Get, I, I knew you were gonna. Yeah, of course. I knew you were gonna nail that. I knew it. And it's not even that. It's just that Syndergaard has not pitched up to his potential over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And if he ever does, and has something close to it, the Grom type season, this team could. I'm not gonna say dominate, but when you got two guys going out to the mound like that, you're not gonna have many losing streaks. Yeah. You know, so Syndergaard is the type of guy where everybody expected him to basically do what, what the Grom's doing now. Yeah. And he really has it. The last couple of years, a lot of inconsistencies with Syndergaard. And he has you the see, stuff to be able to do it. He does, but you see a lot of five innings, five and a third, five and two thirds, struggling, two strikes and a batter. He can't put them away. Foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. It's It drives you nuts. Which is nuts when you got a guy who throws yeah. a 93-mile-per-hour slider. Right. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, sometimes... Sometimes a guy has to stop being a thrower and be a pitcher like Jacob DeGrom. Bingo. Look at the way DeGrom moves the ball. He's got a plan for every single batter that 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 comes to that plate. Up and down, changing the eye angles, up and down, up and down, inside, outside, inside, outside, up, down. And Syndergaard just, it seems like he gets on the mound and throw, tries to throw the ball through to catch his glove. That's what he tries to do. There's no when I look at Syndergaard, there's no purpose to how he's setting a batter up like the way Degrom sets up batters, mm-hmm. the way a guy like Scherzer will set set up a hitter or Verlander or Cole for that matter, the way they set up hitters. Syndergaard to me is still just a thrower. He needs to learn to be a pitcher, and you know the whole thing with his shirt coming off and his muscles. You know, you know what? Degrom cut his hair. It's time to cut the hair, Syndergaard. Enough with the thorax. Cut the hair. Donate it to a charity. You know, so just do something like that. Enough with the long hair, the whole Thor persona or whatever else. You know, maybe that'll change for you. Maybe that'll help you a little bit because he's been, he it's 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 maddening watching that guy pitch because he could be so good, Andrew. Yeah. He could be so good. And you're looking at that guy and before you know it, it's the fifth inning. He's got 106 pitches already and he's ready to come out of the game. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, it's it's silly to say this now because the Grom has won back-to-back Cy Young awards. But I mean, I always thought that he had the potential to be better than Degrom. Now I don't think well, we so all anymore thought, we because all Degrom that. is the best pitcher in the game. But we all thought that, especially after 2015 season. Yeah, when he first came up. Yeah, and he pitched in the biggest, yes. highest leverage spots, yes. and he was nothing short of spectacular. Yeah. I in have every no, spot. I have no qualms about him handling the city. He handles it fine. You know, this has nothing to do with him uh, mentally not being able to handle the big stage because, as Andrew just alluded to, he has. So we know that already. But it's a matter of now transforming yourself into a pitcher. Get rid of the muscles. Who cares about your muscles and the hair and all that other crap? Just be a pitcher. Be a pitcher. Learn how to pitch. Watch DeGrom day in and day out. I'm sure he he does how he goes about his business. Look at DeGrom. He's, He's pencil thin. Right. Pencil thin. Yeah. So. The, thir- the third guy I was going to say, who it was who we just talked about too, and it's Diaz. For multiple reasons. One, I mean, there's no denying that the bullpen faltering is what held the Mets back from making the postseason last year. The second thing is, I think part of the reason why that bullpen faltered so much is because everyone was being put in different roles every single week because nobody was reliable. And I think if you have your closer's role solidified, 
I think everything else falls into place. There's nothing worse than having a By the a way, good let me just team. cut you off. I just want to tell Tommy that was Andrew banging on the table right now, not, not me. Not. Guilty. Guilty. Tommy, hold your comments to yeah. yourself. It yeah. was, it All was right. me. So blame your, buddy, blame your new buddy, Andrew. That wasn't me banging <laughs> on the table. But going back to the Diaz, yeah, I mean, I could see that. But Andrew, let me ask you a question. Would it make sense for Rojas to not anoint Diaz as the closer, especially in the beginning, and pitch him in low leverage type situations where he comes in the sixth and seventh innings of a game instead of the crucial eighth or ninth inning? And maybe, maybe he gets a little confidence in in less pressure type situations where maybe he can get into a little bit of a rhythm from that point because. Let's you know the reason why I don't say Diaz is being a much of, of of a key guy to the Mets is because they have guys that can close in that bullpen. If Batances is healthy, he's one. Justin Wilson's another. Obviously, Seth Lugo's another one. So they have guys that could take the ball in the ninth inning that you could feel confident in. So uh, Diaz could be replaceable as far as that's concerned. But do we put him into a sixth and seventh type inning? You know, just let him get. You know, maybe we're up five to two, five to three. You know, just preserve an inning, get an inning out of him right there. And maybe he gets into a little bit of a rhythm early in the season instead of right away anointing him as the closer, putting him in that first game, March 26th against the Nationals, 3-2 Mets, top of the, bottom of the, top of the ninth. You know what I mean? And maybe doing that, I, I tell you, it would not surprise me if they do, especially if he continues to pitch somewhat poorly in spring training. Now, they haven't used him a lot. They, yeah, I think he's... What, that one he, or two innings, I think he's throwing? I think he has... He actually... I think I said one appearance before. I think he's got two. And yeah. I think he pitched a fourth inning of yesterday's game and or the day before, and, and he was good. But the first one was terrible, and it was, like I said, it was against a bunch of guys on the Marlins who were right. going to be he got beat working up. the and, cash and again, sometimes right you just, next week. Sometimes you just, you know, you just... It's all about just trying to locate at that point. So, we don't want to... We don't want to get overly dramatic about it, Andrew. But at the same time... It's always a cause of a concern because of what happened with him last year. So I, I, I think I don't I part of me thinks that they they that's a good idea to to have him build this confidence up over yeah. time. But also part of me thinks that if this guy is ever gonna learn how to close, you need to throw him in. You know, you want to teach someone how to swim, throw him in the water. So if this guy's ever gonna learn how to be a legitimate closer, which he was in Seattle, if you want him to regain that role Part of me thinks you kind of have to throw the trust in him on day one. Say, hey, listen, this is your job to lose. Go out there, let it rip. But the problem is, if he has a bad game early on, you lose him. You you lose him mentally, probably. What I'm trying to say is, if you have him in the sixth to seventh inning, he pitches a good, you know, again, it, they're, they're low leverage type situations. Just get him into a rhythm. Maybe he pitches well. Maybe there's less pressure in his, you know, on, on him at that point. Yeah, and but, may, but, but what maybe if, you but work if, him back into that closing what role if, then. What if game one you put him in in the sixth inning and he's terrible in the sixth inning? Well, then then, <laughs> then again, it's a cause for concern. I'm trying to say do something a little unconventional to try and maybe just get his confidence back. You know, especially if he comes out of spring. If he comes out of spring training and he and he's he's nailing it and he's pitching very very well, there's still that pressure on him because it's only spring training. So so let's say he pitches eight or nine innings now for the rest of the spring training. Doesn't even maybe gives up a run, three hits. He's got fourteen strikeouts and two walks. Now we're all like, "Oh my God, this is great!" But when he comes in to the ninth inning on opening day and the Mets are up by a run or two, you're forgetting about those spring training stats. Let you're not t- even thinking about. Let me them. let me tell you something. 
my heart is beating pretty fast right now just from you saying 3-2 game opening day yeah. and when Diaz comes yeah. in. I mean, my heart's kind of yeah. racing already. It's already yeah. got me nervous. How how about you use Diaz as the opener? <laughs> I mean, at, at this point... You're open to any and all possibilities. With him? <laughs> I, I'm just trying to restore the kid's confidence any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I would hate to lose him early in the season because of a couple of blown saves. But how about this stat yesterday? I think I told you this when we were in the bar yesterday. Did I did I show you that stat yesterday with DeGrom? Since 2018? Oh, what, 28 and 35? 28 or? and 36 in his yeah. starts. Yeah, unbelievable. Since 2018, and what 28 is and 36. And he's had like a 2.1 ERA. And that's he won back-to-back Cy Youngs, yeah. Andrew. Yeah. Eight, they're eight games under 500 when he starts. Yeah. It's head-shaking. Yeah, I know. It's it's Head-shaking. It's disgusting. I mean, that it guy, is. that guy might not have a hundred wins in his career, and <laughs> and be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. What is? I, I, I actually, I, I wanna, it's crazy. I want to look up his career record because I do want to see, just just for. Uh, I think he's got sixty four wins now. I know he's got sixty four wins. I think. But, that was head scratching. I, I knew they weren't that good in his thoughts. We all know that. He's 66 and 49 in his okay. career. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, he did have a uh he he did have a uh, a winning record last season. Thank God. And what was he 11 and 10 the first year he won the Cy Young? Was he 11 and 10 yeah. with a 1. Yeah. 1.7 ER? Yeah. No, it was <laughs> ridiculous. You, you got to throw, you know what? I tell you the truth, they, they don't even really they don't look at wins anymore with all the new analytics and stats and all that other crap. They don't even Nobody pays attention to wins anymore. But yeah, so twenty eight thirty six. Jesus, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, I'm ex- know, listen. I'm 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 at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm in you full got a baseball few more, mode. Yeah, you got a few more weeks. I'm, I'm hyped. There's another I'm three weeks. I mean, I'm hyped for the Mets season, but I try to 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 temper it a little bit because it's just the Mets, <laughs> and I don't want to get myself overly excited. Because I, I, the letdown is just no, 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 no. Sometimes See, it's a little too much. Uh, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. You have, you now have a platform to vent your frustrations. You're right. Which means it's all doesn't make it reason, any better though. But it gives you more of a reason to be fully invested. Because yeah. if they end up breaking your heart, you can give us one of our rants that I'm sure everyone will enjoy. Oh, they're, because they're, they're 162 game season. Believe me, there'll be rants. Listen. I'm 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 not even excited to watch them play. I'm just excited for the rants at this point. <laughs> That's all I'm looking forward well, to. Well, let's hope they go 15 and 0 to start the season. I'll be rantless. You know what? How about let's hope that our New York Rangers get into the playoffs because maybe yeah. they'll tough take our, they'll take our minds off of the Mets a little bit. They tough, ha- they, they, they did weekend. have a tough weekend. Like I said, the, the trade deadline is passed. We broke down all that. Uh they had an important week this week. They played the Islanders on Tuesday. Had a big win against the Islanders. Got outplayed for a, for a good portion of that game, but they weathered the storm with Alexander Georgiev, who bailed them out, uh, and they and they were clutch when it mattered. They they gave up the two goal lead and, and ended up squandering a point, uh, which was crucial, but still came away with the win in overtime, which was huge. Uh, then they traveled to the Bell Center in Montreal. Georgiev starting again, as we said on this podcast, at, at that Bell Center has been a, a house of horrors for Lumquist, so we knew that he wasn't going to get the nod in that game, and again. Rangers were severely outplayed for a good portion of that game. And in the third period, a new team came out. Uh, they end up scoring, I think, five goals in that third period. Yeah, they were down 2 nothing. Yeah, and, and they end up getting that big win against Montreal. Uh, and then they had a tough weekend against the Flyers. Friday night in the Wells Fargo Center, 
They got killed. They got creamed by the Flyers. And then a little bit more of the same at Madison Square Garden yesterday afternoon. And Henrik Lundqvist's first start in 27 days. Um, he wasn't great, but the team in front of him wasn't great either. Uh, just all around a bad weekend. Luckily for the Rangers, they've been getting some help. Uh, other teams have been losing. However, Columbus down 3-1 in that third period last night against the Canucks. Score four unanswered and end up winning 5-3, which is it's bad, but... It's not the end of the world because, again, the Rangers are only four points behind them. They still have two games in hand. So it's not the end of the world. The sky is not falling. There's still, what, 16 games left to play? Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the, the Friday night game was kind of expected. They were, they were gassed. I mean, even though the Rangers got out to a one nothing lead, they were gassed. And i tell you the truth, uh, Georgie have kind of hid their, uh, their defensive deficiencies they had the last few games against Montreal, especially against the Islanders. They got severely outplayed. It was 40-something shots each game. So, you know, Georgia basically stole those games from them until the Rangers, you know, came up clutch with a couple of key goals. But, uh, you know, and then coming back Sunday, yeah, Hank wasn't good. But, you know, the guy hasn't played since February 3rd. And I I thought that Quinn made a mistake when it was 3-1 flies on a Friday night. They should have probably pulled Georgiev and put Lundqvist in and let him just feel the game a little bit, you know, get some game action and set him up for Sunday. I don't know if that would have helped, but the way the team played in front of him as well, uh, it was a just a poorly, poorly played game. And I've been I've been beating this guy down over the past couple of weeks, and Ryan Strom has absolutely sucked. And you know what? I was glad Quinn benched him in the entire third period on Sunday. Took a few more bad penalties. He's been a lazy player. A very lazy player, especially on the defensive part. So he's been taking some bad penalties. The penalty he took against the Islanders basically cost us a point. Because the Rangers were up two goals at that point. With seven minutes left going on the power play. Ryan Strom took a needless, needless penalty at the blue line. A lazy hook. And, and basically nullified our power play, put the Islanders on the power play for a few seconds there, and they wound up scoring on it, 3-2, then scored the tying goal with a minute left, 3-3, Brock Nelson with the tip in, and luckily Zabinajad shot a missile, so they got them that win, but you know, you know, you got to hope that that Columbus team last night, and you know, they, they've suffered a lot of injuries, Columbus themselves, coming back from 3-1 in that third period, you know, you got to hope that this doesn't ignite them because, like I, like we said, the Rangers are four back of them. I believe they're still four back of the Islanders, too, and they got two games on hand on Columbus. They're even in games played with the Islanders, I believe. So, um, you know, this listen, they're still in the Pele picture. They're still there, but they're playing. They got a tough schedule coming up, having to play St. Louis on Tuesday, the Capitals on Thursday. Both of them are at Madison Square Garden, but those are also your last two Stanley Cup champions. So the Rangers are going to have a very, very severe test here, and they better they better show up, show themselves up defensively because they have not been good in front of their goaltender. No, they're giving up forty shots a game is just yeah. a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And listen, um, I'm not a, I'm not saying that Hank is completely absolved from any blame. No, he, he didn't play well. He, he didn't play well, but you know what? He's not good enough at this point in his career to to mask the defensive deficiencies. No. When they're giving up 40 shots a game, listen, Shesterkin, highly touted prospect, still 24 years old. He comes up, gives this team a spark. He was seeing 40 shots, and he was able to mask some of those deficiencies yeah. with some of the saves he was making. But it catches up with you, man. You know it that. It does. It does. It catches up with you. And it, it, not only, it catches up with you. It's not sustainable. It, also, considering that the guy hasn't played in 27 days. Yeah. Seeing the forty shots is also a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, all around just wasn't wasn't a good effort. 
uh, laziness, uh, and just bad breaks. I mean, they had a couple a couple posts that they hit in yesterday's game. Zabanajad so had a couple open nets that he yeah, missed, which he doesn't nothing. normally he, do. Yeah, he missed he missed an open net, one nothing would have tied at one one. It was wide open, wide open net from in front. He was no more than ten feet out, and Flies wound up coming back down a minute later and scored to make it two nothing. So, look, they're gonna have to they this you, they gotta win this game Tuesday night. They gotta get back on track. You can't let this snowball into a, a you know a deeper losing streak. They've lost two in a row now, and again, like I said, they haven't played well defensively. So, and, you know, I guess you know, going from one team in that arena to the other team in the arena, they finally named Leon Rose officially today as their president, uh, the Knicks. So uh, he was announced today. And what did Leon Rose say to the fans? We, I, you know, we have to have patience. Well, the, the Knicks fans have been patient for 20 years. And that's why I can't so, stand that. I can't so stand that. Patience. What, what are they in now? They're... they're their fifth or sixth rebuild in the last 20 yeah. years. Yeah, it's a mess. Patience can't happen anymore. And I'm listen, I, I know it's I know it's not going to turn around overnight. No. I think everybody knows that. It's just the fact that this isn't supposed to take this long. No one's no one's asking for, to snap the finger and have this team be relevant again, but it's just it's kind of hard to have patience when you've had patience since 1990 and it's, it's just not nothing is turning around for this team. So, listen, well, it's an, we spoke about this when they when they were first rumored to hire him. I mean, they made the hire official today, uh, but this was rumored to be in the works for weeks. We said this when it first happened. It's an innovative hire. They're kind of following the mold and the trend of today's sports by getting player agents to step into front office roles uh, to be head of operations in, in different sports. Obviously, Brody Van Wagner in baseball. Uh, and basketball, you see Rob Palenka doing the same thing. So, well, you know, the thing with Palenka, Andrew, it's... It, they're giving him credit, but he wasn't. He didn't bring LeBron James there. LeBron James brought himself there. Because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lifestyle change for LeBron. He wanted L.A., and then along came Anthony Davis. So it wasn't like Palinka built this team into what they no, are. I'm right not, now. I'm not crediting, crediting no, no, Palinka with doing it. I wasn't it, saying but... you are, but people are giving Palinka credit out there. Yeah, you know, no, and it's, no, no, no. He doesn't. He deserves no credit. He hasn't built this team. Listen, you could have. You could have put. A, a third grade CYO team as the rest of the Lakers roster and LeBron was still going to go there. No doubt. And he did it for other reasons besides basketball. He did as it well. for his, his after career. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, so, but, yeah. but the bottom line is it's a, it's a trend nowadays to yes. get these player agents to become front office members. And so the Knicks are taking a chance. They're and becoming innovative. What's it about? Innovative. Andrew? What's They're it about? Following a trend. Contacts. Yeah. Contacts. Yeah. These contacts haven't worked for the Knicks. And the most, I think we spoke about this too. The most notable client or former client in Leon Rose is Chris Paul. So you know he's oh, a well-respected, God, no. he's a well-respected agent. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but he's a well-respected agent. He's well-respected by a lot of the players. He has a lot of connections, and who knows? I mean, hopefully, you just got to be hopeful that this thing turns around. Because listen, we've said it before. I know everyone will probably agree. At the end of the day. Even though the Yankees are as successful as they are, at the end of the day, this is this is pretty much a Knicks town. I mean, when the Knicks are good, the phone lines are buzzing. They're on the front page of the paper. Social media is going crazy. This is a Knicks town. And I don't think that New York, and this is coming from a non-Knicks fan, saying that when, when the Knicks are good, New York is a good place to be. So you just got to be hopeful that they turn things around. Because, I mean, I remember, and I was young, it's probably... How long ago was Lynn Sanity? About ten years now. No, it eight wasn't years. Even that. Yeah, it wasn't that. 2014, 13, Lynn Sanity, right? 
My, uh, I want to say it was probably 2013. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. It was, it was decently long ago. But, anyways, whenever it was, I was younger. I mean, I'm 22 now. Let's say, let's say it was 13, seven years ago. So I was 15. Yeah, I, two, actually, wow, 2012. Jesus. Yeah. So I was going into high school. I was about to go into high school when that whole thing was happening, and I just remember again as a non-Knicks fan. I mean, listening to talk radio. And turning on the TV and looking at the front page in the newspaper, I mean, there was nothing else to talk about except the Knicks. Yeah. And they weren't even a great team. They weren't a good team. They just had a good week or two-week stretch when Jeremy Lin came up, and this city went absolutely berserk. So everybody's got a root for this team to turn it around because they are the center of attention when they're doing well. I think all the fans who pay their hard-earned money to, to pay those over. Price prices at Madison Square Garden to see this product. They deserve it. Unfortunately, James Dolan is still there. And, and it's hard to believe that it'll ever turn around with him there. But you got to be hopeful. And listen, at the end of the day, Steve Mills wasn't doing it. So no, may, maybe Leon Rose not. will. Steve Mills was there for 20-something years. you know. But it goes back to what I said a couple episodes again, Andrew. Any free agent that comes here, there's not pressure to win championships. All you got to do is make the playoffs. And you think about it, I think the Magic are the eighth seed right now. And they have, what, eight games under 500? Yeah, seven or eight games under, yeah. I mean, that's all. And you make the play. If the, if that was the Knicks, the Garden the garden goes crazy as it is. It doesn't matter. And I think tonight they're honoring the uh, 1970s championship team, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take much. You imagine if the Knicks were an eighth seed, even if they were 10 games under 500 going into a series, a playoff series. It got it would be it would be insane. It's the only arena that gets filled up every single game. I've said yeah. that. I've told you that. You see a lot of empty arenas now with winning teams playing in them. Not the Knicks. It's eighteen thousand there. No matter what. No matter what. So you know they gotta hope. You know Rose's first big uh, um, decision is going to be on a coach, whether it be a guy like Thibodeau or taking Van Gundy and dusting him off after twenty years and bringing him back, which. I was a Van Gundy fan, but I don't think it's the right time for Van Gundy right now to beat his coach. Um, wow, the Knicks actually well, won. They beat the Rockets tonight. They did. 125 to 123. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, unbelievable. Must have been. I tell you what, watch the highlights of that game later and listen to the crowd probably in the last few seconds of a close game like that. Well, the, well the, here's the thing the Knicks were up by 10 at the half. Up by, t- up by up by ten going into the fourth quarter. That's nothing. And the Rockets, with the Rockets. outscored them by eight in the fourth quarter. So yeah. it was probably getting close down the wire there. So yeah. it was a little nerve. Did Harden play? Did Westbrook play? They all played. Harden did. Harden had thirty five points. Westbrook played. Um, I don't know about Westbrook. I will tell you right now. Yeah, Westbrook played too. Oh, okay. Twenty four points for Westbrook. Wow. This is the thing with the Rockets is that they're just too top heavy. I mean, they they had th- three players, uh, four players with over twenty points, and then no one else with more than five. Yeah, that's typical with the Rockets. Yeah. So that's typical. You know, when you got Westbrook and Harden, there's not enough balls to go around. Good game for R.J. Barrett, twenty-seven points on ten of eighteen shooting. Well, you know, that's what you got to hope from this kid. You got to hope the next coach can get something. You know, Barrett, I don't worry about, but it's it's more knocks. You know, you got you got a couple of guys on that roster, including Dennis Smith Jr. too. You got three guys that were lottery picks there between Nicolina, Smith, and Knox that you get absolutely zero from. Absolutely zero, Andrew. Yeah, Knox was zero. Uh, Knox had the least and amount again, of playing time on the team. Like tonight. I said in the past, RJ Barrett's a really good player. 
He's a good player. He's just not going to make other players around him better. He's not going to be like a John Morant is this year. He's not that type of player. He's going to be a good player. He'll be a good scorer in this league. But he's just not going to make other players around him better. So the Knicks are going to have to do this again through the draft. Uh, it's going to take some 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 picks. And next year is not a good uh, coming draft coming out with college. So uh, they got their work cut ahead of them, the Knicks. They certainly do. And I just... I don't want to see them start getting, you know, they're talking about bringing a Carmelo back to mentor. Oh, I heard that I, too. I mean, do I we need to too. hear this. No, we don't need Carmelo back here. I don't need anybody. I don't need a 35-year-old Chris Paul coming here. Just don't bring in those aging veterans. We don't need that. We don't need that to mask the issues. If we're going to build, let's build it the right way. And you know what's so funny? Is that I think you have the prototype of what needs to be done playing in the same freaking city. Like the Nets, they they showed you back whenever they made that trade for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, and they already had Joe Johnson, and everyone thought that was the way to build a team, and guess what? They played some meaningful playoff games, but it never materialized and translated into any championships. But that and destroyed everyone, the Nets for a few and years, everyone, too. And re- everyone realized this is not the way to yeah, go, because not, not only the way did we go. not win, but we got rid of all our first-round picks, and yeah. they, we, they were winning 15 games per year. Fast forward to when they finally have those assets again, those that draft capital, they're able to draft the right way, develop those players. Getting D'Angelo Russell for the price that they got was was a big move, but they were able to draft guys like Lavert and Dinwiddie and Jared Allen and develop those guys and become an eight seven seed to make the playoffs. Yeah. And then they attract the big name free agent. So you have the prototype right. of what needs to right. be done right across the town, and still the Knicks just they can't do it. They just can't find a way. Well, to the do trade it. that they made with Pierce and those guys, you understood that trade because. They were they were probably you know they were they were looking to find their fan base in Brooklyn, at that point they were new there, so you kind of understood that you know what I mean it it didn't make sense for what they gave up, but it made sense for what they were trying to do mm-hmm. by by trying to get a fan base. You hear it now with with Brady maybe going to the to the Chargers, you know, and and trying to build up a fan base there. Um, so. But, yeah, yeah, you know, with the Knicks, it's going to take some time. Uh, you know, it's going to start with the coach. Uh, and then after that, maybe Cal- maybe they convince Calipari to come here. Is he going to be the answer? Who the hell knows? I don't know. I mean, maybe Calipari can get something out of Knox because he coached him in Kentucky. You know, so I, I don't know. But th- there's a lot of work ahead of them right now, the Knicks, because they're nowhere close to being good. One last thing I have to say is I'd like to to – give a formal public apology to Zion Williamson. Oh. I did not think that his game was going to translate oh. well to the National Basketball League. I, I, I could not have been more wrong. I mean, this guy beast. is dominating on dominating. a nightly basis. Yeah. That game between him and LeBron last night, they went at it, trading buckets down the stretch. Real good game. All of a sudden now, everyone was talking about how, how Morant was was destined for stardom and he was on a trajectory for, for stardom. And I think he still is. He still is. And he's still going to be a great player. And I thought it was too late for Zion to even come close to sniffing Rookie of the Year. But here we are, uh, three weeks after he makes his debut, and all of a sudden the Pelicans are two and a half games out of a playoff spot. Yeah. He's averaging 25-7. and seven. I mean, he, he's incredible. You imagine he's putting incredible. him in the garden. You imagine if the Knicks would have won that lottery with him. Oh, forget it. Oh, forget it. Even John Morant, for that matter, they come third the next third. 
Mm-hmm. Third, it was Williamson, Morant, and then it was kind of like Barrett, and you were like, all right, Barrett's a... But Barrett was also a consensus number one college player, you know, come, going into that last season. You know, I never, and, I never saw the hype in R.J. Barrett. I, I, I'm not saying before he went to Duke, because I didn't know anything right. about him, but it's a high right. school player. But when he was at Duke, I just, I didn't see it all, especially in today's NBA, which is like built on shooting. Shooting. And he can't shoot the three. He's a, he's a 60% shooter from the free throw line. Yeah. Uh he's undersized to be a slasher. I just, you know, I just didn't see I didn't see the hype and he's and he's one-handed. I mean, he he cannot use his right hand. No. He's all left-handed. So I never really saw the hype. He sprinkled some good games in between here and you would like to believe that he's going to be a piece moving forward, but for the number 3 pick in the draft, he certainly has not lived up to to no. any of the expectations but that's, so far. Again, that's been the Knicks in a nutshell with their with their drafts. Just, you know, just all, all lottery picks again, just missing that year. They miss, just missed with Curry, so it's just you know, been some bad you know luck the, as you know well. The, you know the perfect way to describe what the Knicks have been doing? They haven't been swinging and missing. They've been foul tipping into the catcher's mitt. Yeah, like they've they, they like some of the things that they've been doing haven't necessarily been the the wrong thing to do, but it just hasn't panned out. I mean, look this, the lottery pick. Every, they did what they needed to do. They successfully tanked. They weren't winning meaningless games to get them out of a position for the number one spot. I mean, they finished as the worst team in basketball, put themselves in a perfect position, did all the right things to set them up to get that high-impact player, whether it was Morant or Williamson. And what happens? They get the third pick. That, to me, isn't swinging and missing. It's, it's fouling it off into the catcher's mitt. And think about something, Andrew. Think about this. Every single NHL big free agent that the Rangers went after, they got. And that's been going on for the last 20. That goes mm-hmm. back to Bobby Holik. You know, guys like that. You know, And anybody that was out there that was a top guy, uh, Chris Drury that year when they signed him as well. You know, anybody that was out Kevin there. Kevin Shattenkirk. Ke- yeah, Kevin Shatt. Well, yeah, Kevin. Sh- anybody. You know, anybody uh, this year wanted. with Panarin. Mm-hmm. Took less money to come to the Rangers. You know, any big free agent that the Rangers went after that other teams all came to the Rangers. Now, last I knew, Dolan owns the Rangers too, doesn't he? He so, does. I, I don't understand the whole dynamic of guys, hockey players wanted to come here, but NBA players don't. And in the long run, I think the best thing to happen to the Knicks is that Durant and Kyrie Irving both decided to go to the Nets. Because as of right now, that could turn out to be an unmitigated disaster because Kyrie Irving just can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. And who knows what's going to happen with Durant. Again, I've said it a lot of times. Those Achilles injuries are no joke, man. They're no joke. They normally lead to other injuries. Listen, with a player of Durant's ilk, I would take that chance 100 times out of 100. You would, but you're paying him $41 million this year to sit to sit around and do nothing. And next year, again, it's going to be the load management, Andrew. That guy's not playing back-to-back games. And probably early in the season, he'll probably pay limited minutes. He ain't going to be... He's not going to be putting up 38, 40, 40 minutes a game. Well, the, you, you hear what he wants to do now? That he's that he's not ruling out playing for the Olympic team this year? No, I'm sure the Nets love to hear that. Oh, they would they would love it. That's a, that, that would, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. I'd be... That's like spring training. I'd be holding my breath yeah. the whole time, just yeah. hoping nothing happens. Because I mean, what's what's the point? And I and I'm I'm listening to uh, not listening. I was watching first take, 
and Jay Williams was on there. And I love Jay Williams. I think he's a great analyst. But he's saying, listen, he's got to play in the Olympics. The, the you know, now nowadays basketball isn't represented the way it used to be. You got to have him play and represent the United States. He just sounded like a complete fool. Well, and Jay no. Williams is not signing D- Kevin Durant's paycheck. If he was, I'm sure his opinion would be a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah, good point. You know, good point. So... You know, so so that's as far as you know, Jay Williams' opinion. Easy for him to say, but when you're signing that guy's paycheck, I'm sorry, you're not playing in the Olympics. I'm paying you forty forty one million dollars a year to play with us. I'm not going to have you go to the Olympics and get hurt there. Well, it's like the same way in baseball. If I, if I was a general manager, I I would. I don't know if you can. I don't I don't know what the CBA says if you're allowed to do this. But if I had the power to, I'd forbid all my players from playing in the WBC. I wouldn't want it because at that point, it's before spring training. None of those guys are in the proper shape to be ramping up baseball activities the way they do. And that's why you're seeing some of these injuries. I remember D.D. Gregorius got hurt playing for the Netherlands a few years back. In fact, that's where Lugo suffered the partially torn UCL. Right. Was pitching for Puerto Rico in the WBC. Right. This is what happens with these guys. It's too early in their all-season regimen to be ramping up the activities the way they are. And listen, for a guy like Kevin Durant coming off a torn Achilles, why are you in a rush to play in the Olympics? Listen, you think you think the end result, if they get all these star players to play in the Olympics, you think Kevin Durant not being there is going to stop them from winning a gold medal? No, they're going to trample everybody like they always do, and they're going to win regardless. So what I don't about ca- ego? I don't care, if, I don't care if he plays limited minutes over there. I really don't care. I just I think that's a recipe for disaster if he went over there. Now, I'm not saying he's going to re-tear his Achilles, but I mean, just like, what's your rush? What's your rush? Just calm down. Listen, October 6th, 2020, that, that's when I need you ready for, or whenever opening night is next season for the Nets. That's when we need you for. Don't put, go over to Tokyo and play there. Just hold your horses. Put it this way. Kevin Durant should be a professional and say, my obligation is to the Nets. They paid me $41 million this past year, and I didn't play one second of a game. That's his obligation. Period. Well, that's not the way these players are wired. Right, they don't—they don't know anybody anything. Because it's all, it's all about ego them. with these guys. Yeah. It's selfish. It's—it's it's all selfish. It's all selfish. So, you know, that's the deal with that. I guess uh, we could probably wrap things up now because we pretty much covered a lot of crap over here. And you we got did. well, yeah, we actually got the football free agency coming up, and you're starting to see some guys getting tagged. Uh, we're not going to start naming guys that are getting tagged right now, but you still. I was thinking about something, Andrew. Think about this, because he was at the North Carolina Syracuse basketball game uh, with Jimmy Fallon and Julian Edelman, and Edelman was sitting next to Tom Brady saying, you know, my boy's going to be back. He'll be back. But let me ask you a question. And, you know, some people have been, been talking about this over the last few days, and you think about it. Why all of a sudden now is it as important for Tom Brady to get a big contract? After all these years of of bypassing the big contract and because listen, he didn't need the money, but why all of a sudden now is it such an issue that he wants the money? Because I think that the Patriots, in my own opinion, I think the Patriots already went to him with a number and said, this is as much as we could pay you. You want to make more somewhere else? Fine. But we've allotted this for you. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's a, it's, it's about the dollars and cents. I think it's just, I think it's about like, I think it, the the pay or the salary serves as a token of appreciation. I mean, that's the way the Steelers handled it. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was always 
restructuring his contracts and taking pay cuts so that they can keep the core intact and all this stuff. And he was always doing things that weren't in his best interest in order to help the team out. And then when it came time for his last contract, they said, boom, here you go. Two years, $67 million. There you go. That's a thank you. You know, it's a token of appreciation. And I think at this point, you know, I thought that he was going to stay at first. Now I'm not so certain about it because yeah. I think that it's just a token of appreciation. And I think both from the organization and from fans. And this is a good point that I, that I just heard the other day. I forget who said it, but they said, I think that Brady is just welcoming the challenge because when you mention Brady, you automatically mention Belichick as well. And vice versa. They both come up in the same sentence all the time. And I think he wants to try to prove that that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we've seen through stories and feature articles that are written that him and Bill are not the best of friends. It's basically Robert Kraft that's kept Tom there as long as he has been. And at this juncture, I mean, he doesn't have anything else to prove. Listen, if he goes somewhere and they go 6-10, and 10, does it affect Brady's legacy at all? I don't think one bit. It, it might. I don't think one bit. I, it, it only might to a certain degree because you're going to have a lot of people out there saying, look at that. See what happens when he left Bill Belichick? So think about that. He goes 6-10 and 10 somewhere. And let's say Belichick has a 9-7, and 10-6 season with uh, Stidham as his quarterback. Right? Or maybe they bring in a free... They probably would bring in a free agent quarterback maybe at that point. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of there, rumors a lot, about Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton being their new, next guy. Maybe. Mariota, or, too. I don't know if he'd go with Mariota. That would Dalton, be so Patriots. Dalton could make sense, or maybe a guy like Bridgewater might make sense, maybe a little bit for him. But... Yeah, but if they're not... Will, if Tom the Brady would go 5-11, 6-10 yeah, away from Belichick, obviously, look, the guy's got... He's, Super Bowls are countless. We all know what he's done. He's the GOAT. We all get that. But there's got to be a little bit of a little bit of, of, of groups of people that would probably say, look what happens when he went away from Belichick. Yeah, but they would just be he morons, hear though. It a they'd, little bit. they'd be morons, You're right, though, but because... it was still something that would be that would be said. Because he's at this point, he's 42 years old. So I don't right. think you could discredit anything he's done in the past no, because of what's what, happened now. But that's what makes me think, why is he doing this? What's your best chance of winning? Tom Brady's not playing at the age of 42 to try and set more records. Tom Brady's playing at the age of 42 because he believes he could win another Super Bowl. And that's his ultimate goal. There's no other goal that Tom Brady has. So what's your best chance to win a Super Bowl? Is it with the Raiders? I doubt it. I don't think so. Is it with the Chargers? Pro- Your best bet probably again would be the Patriots because you dominate that AFC East. Yeah. Now you're going to go to the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes in that division? I have to, to say, go play with the Chargers or the Raiders? Think, I don't. Th- I mean, I, New England might provide Unless him the he best goes chance. To Tennessee? New England might provide him the best chance, but I got to tell you, I don't think he has a chance. He's done. New England is not winning anymore. I'm sorry. That ship has sailed. They're not winning anymore. It's over. But they're going to be competitive. They're always going to be competitive so long as you have Belichick as your coach there. They'll be competitive. And especially in that division where nobody's ready to take over that division. Yeah. Nobody is. I mean, nobody looks like they're ready to take. The Jets have a lot of holes. Uh, the Dolphins, they're still going through a rebuild for the next few years. Well, you know what? I think we- the Bills are a good team. But I still not. I mean, Josh Allen's a terrific athlete. I still don't believe in him as a big-time quarterback yet. I still need to see more out of him. We brought this up before too, though. I think we, we brought this up on a previous episode. Another thing you have to take into account is, look, he's been taking pay cuts all this time, 
for the betterment of the team, right? Well, and now this, but goal, it's helped this him, goal, Andrew. It's helped him. But this go around, he takes a pay cut again, and they don't surround him with any talent. So he, I no. think he wants. He's saying, "Listen, I, I'm taking these pay cuts so that you could surround me with talent. If you're not going to surround me with talent, then pay me." But that was one year. That's one year that it happened. I tell you they what. Didn't re- look, they didn't replace Gronkowski, but who could replace Gronkowski? No, no. He's not. <coughs> he's not me. easily replaceable. You know, he's, so no, not at all. So who's going to replace Gronkowski? Who are you going to bring in to, to replace him? Nobody. They tried to bring in Mohamed Sanu midseason. They did make the trade for Sanu. You know, Sanu really didn't never got acclimated into that offense for whatever reason, and he's a very good receiver, Sanu. But somehow, some way, he just never got acclimated there. They brought it. They brought in Antonio Brown. After all the after all the issues he had with the Raiders, they brought Antonio Brown in. So they brought him in. I mean, you know, it wasn't Belichick or New England organization's fault that, you know, he went off the rails again, Brown. You had no choice but to release him. So they tried to bring some guys in for him. It just didn't pan out. So it wasn't like the opportunity wasn't there and they passed on it. They brought him in. They brought in Brown. They brought in Sanu. So they had guys there. The running backs were always going to be the running backs. Their running backs were always mixed and, ma- mixed and matched anyway. It didn't matter. So yeah. a big running back made no difference because the same running backs they have this year, they had the year before, the year before that. It was the same type of guys. So really, the, def- the defense was the number one defense in the league for the most part. Top five defense, let's put it that way. It's not the number one. They were top five defense. So what didn't Brady have? Think about it. What what didn't he have that that they didn't give him? What else did he want? Yeah, I mean he he's yeah, always I, he always has a good offensive line. You the shut offensive, me up. The offensive line always protects him, no matter what. They don't have premium. Well, picks. their offensive line was very bad this year. It wasn't as good, but you know, again, they they the yeah the, the, the Patriots always relied on like guys like Dante Scarnecchi, who was the best offensive line coach in the history of the NFL. They they've never had big time offensive linemen. They've never had. They never had premium picks there. So think about it. They they made the most out of what they made out of guys, fifth round picks, sixth round picks, picking up guys off the scrap heap. So Brady had everything there. The problem with Brady this year was probably Brady himself a little bit. He wasn't as good. Yeah, I know. I'm not denying that he wasn't as good. I think. Listen, I, he didn't have he didn't have the talent he he's had, but he's never had premium talent. I mean, for the exception of Gronkowski and okay, that wait. one year with I, I, Randy Moss. Let me Moss. pose you this question, Andrew. If he has Gronkowski on that team the entire season last year and the playoffs, do they win the Super Bowl? No, they don't make it. Okay. They don't They don't even beat Tennessee. They still don't beat Tennessee. Okay, so then... Because so Gronk, Gronk was not as effective those last years he was in the okay, league. He so, was at the end of his... Right, his so run. then what are we talking about then? What what, what didn't he have? What What is he getting? So if, if this is the narrative that he's pissed off that they... That they that they didn't take the money that he left on the table and used it for something. Well, what did you want to use it for? What else did you need? Top five defense. Your running game is always your running game. It's the same type of guys. It's the James White. It's the Rex Burkheads. You know, it's all those same types of guys all over again. Doesn't matter. They they drafted what's his, the the kid? Oh, I just lost his name now. Nikhil Harry. No, the the running back. Oh, how did I forget his name now? The running back from uh, from Alabama. Who the hell was a running back? For God's sake, come on! Oh, they drafted oh, oh, him uh, in the first round. Wait, this past year or two years ago? No, two. No, they drafted Sony him. Sony Michelle. Uh, Sony Michelle. Okay, that's it. That's why I got they, confused because they have yeah. they have the other kid from Bama, right. Harris, Harris, Damian Harris. They drafted right, Harris. Yeah. 
this year, this mm-hmm. past year. They drafted Sony Michelle two years ago. So you have running backs there, right? Yeah. You used some early picks on 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 Nikhil Harry. He was a what was it? First round pick? Second round pick? Nikhil so, Harry was first so, round pick. So, yeah. yeah. So what what again? Brought in Antonio Brown. I'll go back to it. They tried it with Antonio Brown. It wasn't like they didn't bring him in. The guy's an all-star receiver. He was nuts. What are you going to do? So where is this whole narrative going with Brady? I just I don't understand. You know what? Why is it about the money? You're 100% it, right. Things aren't making sense to me with this whole situation. Nah, you're, you know what? And this isn't anything I heard anywhere else but from my own conclusions. Listen, it makes for good radio and good podcasting to banter about it. But, I mean, I, I don't spot any flaws in your argument. I mean, when you think about it, like like... He's never had that premium talent. And now that you go through everything, you know, the defense was there. The line, although it wasn't as good, was still good enough. The only thing that was really lacking on that team was Brady's skills himself. Yes, and it's it's naturally going to happen. You're 42 years old. I don't care how many avocados and what types of pajamas you sleep in, what type of bed sheets you sleep on. You know, I don't care. It's it's an it's naturally going to happen. Your play is going to decline. And in my opinion, Brady was still very good last year, but he wasn't the same Tom Brady. You know what? Look, and Dama, I can't blame the Patriots for not wanting to give him thirty million dollars a year. Why would you yeah. at this point? You know, Don LaGreca said this on the K show and and got absolutely eviscerated by K for it. He said twenty twenty season, in all seriousness. Because they, they were talking when the rumors first started about Brady with the Giants, which is nonsense. But Don LaGreca said, I don't understand why they would do that. Any, Give me any team in the NFL. I'm taking Daniel Jones over Tom Brady as my quarterback this season. And I agree with him. And every and he got absolutely eviscerated for it. But I mean... Uh, look, that's that's a tough comparison. You know, it, am, I, am I taking a 28-year-old Tom Brady over a 24-year-old Daniel Jones? Of course, any day. When you're comparing a 42-year-old Tom Brady to a 24-year-old Daniel Jones... I, you can't even make that argument. It's so hypothetical. It's silly to even make that argument. I don't even know why LeGrec would even bring that up. Well, because they, they were saying that they were talking about when that rumor first started about the Giants potentially being a yeah, shooter for just, Brady. That's just some idiot to put that out there. And, There's no and way that would And he happen. said, I don't know why they would do because Michael Why would K, they Michael, want to bring in Tom Brady Because Michael Giants. K was saying no you, could get, you could get Daniel Jones to sit behind Tom Brady for two years. And for then Don, Don said, I think I'd rather have Daniel Jones play quarterback than Tom Brady yeah, at this point of in his that career. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, listen. none of that makes sense. And that, Brady wouldn't even come here anyway. But that's so no, that hypothetical. Was all, it was all silly. nonsense. It that's was all in nonsense. La La Land. But, but I mean, at this at this point, like, going there's back, one going other back. quarterback. There's going to be an interesting scenario with, and you got to wonder how this is going to play out. And then we'll wrap it up. But I wanted to get this point in. Dak Prescott has not signed the contract yet, and it looks like they're going to franchise him. And I think we spoke about this before in the past. Do you sign Dak Prescott to that $35, $40 million a year contract? Is he worth that, Dak Prescott? They put the ball in his hands this year. Because, you know, any Dallas game you watched, Ezekiel Elliott wasn't the dominant guy. He didn't get the majority of play. It was all Dak Prescott. Listen, I'll tell you this much. Whatever and they you, went 8-8. What, eight eight. Whatever you think the right thing to do is... Jerry Jones is going to do the the opposite because he's an incompetent fool. They just paid Ezekiel Elliott $90 million, and they took the ball out of his hands in a lot of those games, and they put it in Dak Prescott's hands. And where did it get them? Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Good. Take nothing away from him. Good. Good. 
He's not $35, $40 million a year good. He's an above-average quarterback. I mean, the the, the the cost of these quarterbacks, and that's why now you're starting to hear little whispers about Tua wanted to be a Cowboy, and maybe the Cowboys are going to try and trade up for Tua and all this other stuff, which I don't see happening by any way, shape, or form. But the interesting scenario is what's going to happen if he does get tagged, Prescott, does he hold out? So, it's, you know, because by all by all means, they, they were talking about uh, signing him to a contract last year almost at the end of the season. Yeah. And nothing's ever come about. In fact, you don't even hear anything I haven't about heard it. a peep out of it. And the yeah. last thing you hear now is that they're talking about, they were saying it today, was that they probably are going to tag him. So they're going to tag him and pay for that one year, and it'll probably be a prove-it deal, do it again, and then we'll see if we, you know, lead us somewhere, win a couple of playoff games, and then we'll pay you the money. Well, you got to remember... The, when Dak first burst onto the scene, and I know people, for whatever reason, just forget about this, but when Dak first burst onto the scene and the Cowboys had their first really successful season in a long time, it was when Prescott was throwing a ball 18, 19 times a game. Right. People forget that. He was throwing right. for 140 yards right. a game. Exactly. And people That's forget about point. that, and they put them on his put him on his pedestal as this gunslinger, right. which he's not. That's my point, because he's a Cowboy quarterback, so it automatically gets overrated. Again, I'll say it. He's a good quarterback. Is he, He's a good quarterback. But the more he throws, the more he gets exposed. And it was proven last year. Again, he set all sides, all sorts of records, cowboy records, this record. And he was an all-pro quarterback. He, he had wonderful numbers. They were 8-8. Eight and eight. And they had a very good defense. They have a very good offensive line. They have very good receivers. They have an all-world running back. They were 8-8 eight and eight when they put the ball in Dak's hands. And that's why he's not getting paid that big money right now. Jerry Jones has to somehow, some way, uh, avoid paying him that money. It, and you could see it. Now, does Dak hold out? He probably will. Ezekiel Elliott held out. Dak could probably hold out. But what? where do the Cowboys go from there then? Do you cave into his demands? Because if they do, they're going to be in cap hell for a long time. Yeah, they're going to be in cap hell. Yeah, I see it. I, I, I don't, I don't know how the situation is going to end. I couldn't even tell you what the right decision is because also I know they shouldn't give him that money, but I, you just, you also don't know what the the alternate plan would be and what direction they should go into. Because I, do I think Dak is good enough to to Win some playoff games. You know, I do. Not when you put the ball in his hands and have him sling it 40 times, but I do think he he is competent enough and he's able to to be the captain of this ship to get it moving in the right direction. I really do. But, I mean, that price is just obscene. And their their window closed. I mean, all these teams have their, their window, their best chance of winning, let's be honest, is before the quarterback gets paid. That's their best chance of winning because they could yeah. fill in the holes all over the place. You pay Dak the money he's asking for on top of the money that you already gave Elliott. Say goodbye to Omari Cooper. Say goodbye to some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you got to remember that these these defensive players. I, mean, I know they they already inked Jalen Smith, but I mean Van Der Esch looks like he's going to be the anchor of that defense for years to come. You got to pay him too. There's they're a letting, lot of guys. They're letting to be Byron paid. Jones go. They're probably one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Yeah, I'd love to see the Giants sign him. Because Byron Jones is is a is a 
excellent, excellent cornerback. So they're not going to pay him. So right away, you're starting to see it now. They're going to have to let some top talent go. And, you know, I said before in the past, they've drafted very well, the Cowboys, over the last few years. That you have to give them credit for. They've drafted very, very well. But now you're starting to see it now. You draft well. You draft talent. Guys start playing up to their talent and all their potential. Now you have to start paying them, and you can't pay everybody. And now that you have to pay Prescott that sort of money, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting uh, scenario there. So, you know what? We'll wrap things up. We've when does free agency start? Time. March 15th? Uh, March 15th, I think it is. But they want the decision with Brady by the 18th, they were saying with the Patriots, because I'm sure the Patriots want to move on. And maybe you'll have a decision even before then with Brady. Because I'm sure the Patriots want to say, all right, listen, we, you know, there's going to be some free agents out there, some free agent quarterbacks. They're not going to go with Stidham, you know, unless they make – maybe they make a trade for Easton Stick. You, you know what? They might. They might. Or – they could draft Jordan Love, who is uh, Tommy's up and coming prospect yeah. that he's in love with. Yeah, he's who we're, in love who with we're love. gonna have gonna have on come draft time. Real quick yeah. before we call it quits, not even an explanation, just yes or no. All I want is a yes or no. Is Tom Brady a Patriot this season? Yes or no? No. Okay, I'm gonna say no too, and that's we're gonna leave it at that. And maybe next time we record, we will have an answer, whether it's a yes or no, and, and where he goes, we'll see. But. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in once again. Ten episodes. Ten episodes hit in. double digits. Hopefully a million more to go. We're enjoying it, so we're glad that everyone who's listening is enjoying it as well. Uh, baseball season around the corner keeps on moving. Another important week of New York Rangers hockey if they want to continue this playoff push and get into the playoffs. they got a couple of important games this week starting off tomorrow night, Tuesday night, at home against the St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champions. So a big week for them. Uh, last full week of regular season conference play in college basketball. And then the conference tournaments start and March Madness is around the corner. So certainly an exciting time. And then as we just mentioned at the at the last portion of the show, uh, NFL free agency opening up real soon. So That's always a lot of fun. It's a real agency. exciting time to have a oh podcast. because It's a frenzy. It's going to be chock full of information. Yeah, well, in the we're going to start uh, we're going to start doing it twice a week because we're going to need to. We're going to have a lot of content we're going to have to get in. So uh, don't get sick of us, everybody. No. No, we're not going anywhere, so please continue to enjoy. Keep listening. Uh, Apple Music and Spotify, as always, you can find us. Stay tuned on my Twitter account for any announcements on uh, what's going on with the podcast, when we're going to be recording, when episodes are released, if there's any special guests coming on the program. You can find me at May underscore 21. Again, that's at May underscore 21. And I'll be sure to keep everyone in tune with the latest with Four Score the podcast. But... Episode 10 in the books. For Rob Drufray, I'm Andrew May. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you on episode 11 real soon. Thanks, everybody.